Hello and welcome to the Media Business Podcast, brought to you by Media Business Insight, the publisher of Broadcast and Screen International. I'm Alexandra Sievelkink, Managing Editor of Broadcast Commissioner Index, the platform delivering you up-to-date information about the programming needs of UK and US commissioners. Today we are listening to a session from the Edinburgh TV Festival 2019, sponsored by the Commissioner Index, in which Jackie Long, Social Affairs Editor and Presenter at Channel 4, interviews the controller of BBC2, Patrick Holland, and BBC4, Cassian Harrison. Cassian Harrison, recently talking to the research team at the Commissioner Index, said he was looking for alternative ideas to test the boundaries of contemporary television and that he was doubling down on alternative contemporary short-form drama and seeking instead an MTV Unplugged style for the 21st century. His aim, he said, was to make sure that the BBC became a real home for experimentation. He sets out to Jackie Long today why an increased budget of 15%, despite a drop in income from the licence fee, is justified, and what sets the BBC4 channel apart from its competitors. But first up is Patrick Holland. The BBC2 controller tackles the issues of iPlay's extended window, detailing why the extension is especially important for the BBC Quest to ensure that viewers understand where their content originates from, as well as making sure that content is being seen by a younger audience than can be achieved on linear television. All appraisals start with the phrase, you've had a very good year, and you have had a very good year. Is the channel where you want it to be? I mean, I think that there's an extraordinary range of content there and that that sense of new shows like Race Across the World, like Your Homemade Perfect, that there's been, it's terrific to see the impact of those pieces. And then with shows like uh, Top Gear, the reinvention of Top Gear or the re-energization of Top Gear and the um, and Sewing Bee coming back so strong. So I feel like there's been a really pleasing coming together of old faves being rebooted and new shows that feel like they're the new flavours and tone of the channel. And there's always that bit in the appraisal, but there is in mine anywhere, where you've had a very good year, but audience share shrunk by 3%. Well, actually, so our audience share on uh, BBC Two, in terms of uh, peak time share for all audiences for 16-34s for BAME were the only channel that have increased our, cha- our, our share over the year. For, if you go from July to July, so you know, just take it since the last Edinburgh, then our peak share audience for all audiences is up um, a point. Our peak share audience for young audiences is up two points. Our peak share audience for BAME audiences is up five points. And your report July 9, 2019 says your audience share has shrunk by 3%. That is a problem, isn't it? The chat, well, I mean, the numbers that I just gave you aren't made up. They're the numbers that our um, audience folk gave me this, you know, this week. So we have had some real successes in peak in terms of those key areas of the audience. So the challenge is um, it's not all about audience numbers in the overnights. You know, we can talk about that. The challenges in terms of young audiences, the challenges in terms of diverse audiences, the challenges in terms of the fragmentation of the TV audience in general are many and myriad. And I think that we've got lots of really good responses to that. I also think there are challenges to that. So. I mean, you talk about the challenges, you mentioned younger audience. I mean, the BBC as, as a whole, Ofcom says, is facing an existential crisis because of its failure to reach younger audiences. It says that British television and particularly the BBC, has to change if it's to successfully compete. Are you changing enough? So BBC Two is a broad mainstream channel. It's not primarily solely focused on younger audiences. Its remit, its, 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 um, its role in the BBC portfolio is to 
be that challenger brand, to be that unorthodox um, uh, a brand that is different from the mainstream and yet is still a big, broad mainstream channel. So the evolution of two as a place where younger audiences will come, will see their own lives, will be entertained and excited by the content on the channel is happening across pieces like Race Across the World, across pieces like uh, Top Gear. But the average age of your audience is still 62. The average age of all terrestrial viewers, that the, of all terrestrial channels, is, is older. But if you look... 62. If you look at... <laughs> If you look at the way in which younger audiences watch television, that say, take something like The Misadventures of Ramesh. That series is something that is, you know, it gets a healthy overnight when it plays on a Sunday. It consolidates at about 30, 40% more than the overnight. And then with the iPlayer numbers, then suddenly you're over 2 million. You've got to show that as those different sections of the audience come to it, that it gets younger and younger. So younger audiences come to our content by watching it in different ways from, the ter from terrestrial... Just really briefly, because we have got so much to get through. I mean, can you still say, as you said, um, I think last year, BBC Two is an essential part of the modern broadcasting landscape. Give me a reason of why it's essential because of what I just said to you in terms of that there is the mainstream and then there is this voice outside of the mainstream. And if you look at the tone and the variety of voices that are in that clip reel there, where you have the comedic, um, essential comedic, topical um, uh, comedy of pieces like Frankie Boyle, that where you have new um, factual entertainment shows, you've got documentaries like Forensics, which was you know 2.5 million, over 10% share young, so that you have essential storytelling, brilliant voices, um, and you know some of the best comedic, some of the best dramatic talents in the country. So I think that two is a unique voice. I also think that in a world of endless content, that channel brands are extraordinarily powerful and that channel brands in terms of being places, ways of curating content are increasingly important. And I think that that is what we will see in the next evolution of, um, of, of the BBC is as we're moving more towards an iPlayer first world, the channel brands within that iPlayer first world will be increasingly well, important. We'll talk a little bit more about brands um, before the end, I hope. But this time last year, your big call out to the producers in the audience were to bring you big ideas, yeah. ideas of scale. Did they deliver for you? And what were the successes and the failures, dare I call them that? <laughs> so we were starting from scratch with the call out for Race Across the World because we wanted ideas of real scale. We wanted the producers to come to us and say, maybe there isn't something which is going to cost this amount of money and be filmed across this amount of days and, and take a factual entertainment show across, literally across the world in the way that that did. And um, we gave it a real focus. And I think that by giving it that focus and saying to producers, okay, the ideas need to be in by this point, and then we um, put development money with the ones that we really um, were excited by. And then we had a cutoff point in terms of when we were going to, um, to commission it. So the ideas were really exciting and really um, and did challenge us. And hopefully we did come good on that. And as I say, it had real impact for us, race across the world. We've recommissioned it for not one, but two more series. And so I was, you know, I could not be more delighted by its... T I mean, also in terms of its tone, in terms of its sense of purpose, there's lots of talk at the moment about factual entertainment and, you know, constructs and should we be putting people through um, particularly, you know, stressful situations. Race Across the World is a skills-based challenge show, which is very stressful, but it's also hugely filled with purpose. 
after making your changes to Fact Dent last year, you know, the, the, the big call out this year is about features. And I'm just wondering, how do the people in this audience even begin to pitch to a channel which, in your words, you know, you want to be contemporary and bold and diverse? And as, as I say, yet the average age of the audience is 62. I mean, how do they navigate that in terms of coming to you with ideas for features? Say? So if you look at the channel this year and you look at Your Homemade Perfect, which is an eight o'clock show which uses VR technology as a way of looking into um, home transformation shows. I think it's the best home transformation show for a long time on telly. It's got a completely um, young uh, vibe to it. Angela Scanlon is fantastic as the presenter of it. And yet at the same time, it appeals to all audiences. So I think the to my point earlier that producers wanting to see content on the channel that I think, ah, oh, I could make, you know, but I get that tone. I understand what that tone is. Inside the factory, you know, lots and lots of people try and make um, imitations of Inside the Factory for other channels and they fail because Inside the Factory has got that unique um, tone and that unique sense of mischief purpose that makes it BBC Two. Um, and again, young audiences, older audiences come to it. So there's yeah, broadcasting brings people together. It can really bring people together. And if you're looking at an eight o'clock show and wondering what the tonality is, then those two pieces are, you know, a very good place to start. Also remarkable places to eat with Fred Syriax. That, that there are, that you can bring in audiences, young and old, if you have that spirit and if you have that uh, mischievous tone, but also that BBC Two ground. And yeah, across the board, the BBC is losing young audiences. It's, it's losing young audiences in, in areas of the, of the schedule. But as I said earlier, BBC Two, if you take it from July to July, so forget about the Winter Olympics, which slightly skewed the numbers the year before that was in the Ofcom report, in the um, annual report, then we've grown our young audience. We've grown our young audience on BBC Two because of all of the pieces that I'm talking about. So you're not worried? I'm, of course I'm worried. I'm worried in the sense that, not, I'm not worried in the sense that I think that we don't have the answers. Has broadcast television got an issue with young audiences? Of course it has. But one of the answers But to BBC that... Two particularly, you know, it's always been a channel directed at or greeted by, if you like, older people, older, posher people. No, it hasn't. I, I... 62, ABCs. But the whole of broadcast television is, has got older, posher people watching television. The BBC Two has not always been something which has only been focusing at older, posher people. That, as I've been saying for the last few years, BBC Two has got that unorthodox DNA. That's where it came from in the 90, you know, in the or 50 years ago. But if you look at the BBC Two that I grew up with in the 80s and 90s, then it was filled with pieces like The Fast Show, pieces like um, Our Friends in the North. I think that with pieces like Riz Ahmed's Inglistan and with pieces like um, Frankie Boyle's New World Order, that we have got that spirit, that tone back. Just a couple of years ago, top flight critics in The Guardian were still writing articles under the headline, what is the point of BBC Four? Mm -hmm. um, this year, Broadcast Digital Channel of the Year, do you think people now know what the point of BBC Four is? Um, I would hope so. I mean, I think that um, it's a little unfair even two years ago for people to be asking that question. I think that um, uh, BBC Four has always had a very clear remit about what it's what it's for and what it's about. And it's about, you know, it's a very distinctive offer, something that's very special, something I'm very proud of, which is, you know, it's a, it's a channel which is about diving deeper than any other British television channel does. It's a channel about culture. It's a channel about arts. It's a channel about music. And it's a channel with a global perspective. Last year, you spoke about 
your upcoming AI night mm -hmm. and the Made by Machine documentary. Is BBC Four still the home of experimentation and yeah. should it be? Yes, absolutely. And again, I think that's um, uh, something I'm tremendously proud of, which is that we have the flexibility and the space to be able to do things and to look at forms of programming that BBC One and Two inevitably can't. But we should also be, and I feel that the channel should be, a test bed uh, for other ways and new ways of making television. I mean, the AI night was um, interesting. I think it was uh, reassuring insofar as I don't think any of us are under threat from being replaced by artificially intelligent schedulers in the near future. Um, but as ways of exploring what are the boundaries of what television could look like and what its shape can be, uh, I think that BBC Four is a brilliant place to do that. Um, you know, we've been doing other, you know, very kind of interesting, you know, eclectic again in the in, from the drama perspective pieces, a brilliant piece called Make, Make Me Up by a, a young artist called uh, uh, Rachel McLean, which is an extraordinary kind of fever dream of um, kind of post Handmaid's Tale feminism that looks completely unlike anything else that you would see on contemporary British television. I mean, I don't want to be rude, which yeah. is what my 10 year old always says before mm. she's very rude, mm -hmm. but the reality is niche or innovative or eclectic can be sort of posh TV speak for programmes that people don't really watch. Well, as I say, the share for BBC Four is the highest it's ever been. So, you know, it is not my job to be uh, making television programmes that are continually pushing to the same audience levels as BBC Two. I mean, we, you know, we can make very successful pieces of programming. Yorkshire Ripper Files, Lucy Worsley's America's Biggest Fit, all a million and then you add the iPlayer on and we get even bigger numbers. But, you know, we are a portfolio. I have a role to play. Patrick has a role to play. Charlotte's BBC One has its role to play. Um, and my job is to, you know, to make a successful channel which it is, and it meets absolutely the audience. It's not even that I'm set audience targets, but I'd feel uncomfortable if we weren't, you know, growing steadily in terms of what we're doing. We're doing that. Um, it's not my job to end up bumping up against what Patrick is doing. It's my job to do that extremely dis uh, you know, distinctive be balance, BBC Four brief. But there does, and I think we do that, which is it goes from an AI night to Lucy Worsley's America's Biggest Fibs, which does tremendously well in his real populist television. But again, with a BBC Four edge to it. Now, you spoke rather brilliantly last year, I thought, about um, to, to producers saying, you know, we've had enough of white men stood on hills telling us how it is. How did that go down for you? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> um, I think that some, some out there decided that they were going to uh, only take a subset of what it was that I was going to say and kind of focused on the fact that I was talking about white middle class men. In fact, my point was not that. My point was not about the nature of the presenters. It was the point was about the grammar of how we make programming, which is, as I was saying at the beginning of, the, uh, uh, of this conversation, you know, the BBC needs to think beyond uh, an authoritative lecturing mode in its in its programming, and it's not that we don't also do that. And um, you know, Richard Clay's program on memes, of which there was a tiny bit, is a fantastic authored essay from an absolute expert in the subject, and he's also white and male and middle class. Um, but as I say, Yorkshire Ripper Files or Bros or whichever, those are pieces which have a different mode of approach, which is much more experiential, uh, which is not necessarily born from the expert voice, but the person who has personal connection with it. And I think. We're 
we're looking at a mixed ecology. That's what I was arguing. Did anyone well, dare bring you a programme with a white man on a hill explaining stuff? I, I, um, not that I particularly have noticed. I mean, the one thing that we do have, which I should talk about, one, one of the things we're announcing is we're doing, and it goes back to this thing of contemporary relevance and ways to do it, is um, uh, we're just announcing today a big season on fake and fakery, uh, which again, is a, it's a BBC4 take on a subject which is hugely relevant at the moment in a world of fake news. So in that particular season, we have a certain gentleman called Ian Hislop presenting a rather brilliant overview of fakery and fake news over the course of the last 120 years, or 150 years, uh, and Andrew Graham Dixon uh, doing a brilliant investigative journey into this guy called Van Meegeren, who was a, a, a Dutch artist who forged paintings for the Nazis and ended up in a very sticky place where he's put on trial at the end of the war, desperately trying to convince people that he knew that, 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 that he was deliberately faking the paintings or something like that. Anyway, it's a brilliant piece of uh, art history detective work. So that's two white middle-aged presenters, but doing some very interesting things and very much that's part of the BBC Four mix. That's white middle-aged men standing on a hill, <laughs> middle-class men standing on a hill. Anyway, um, anyway, I'd love to talk about it more. Uh, we want to talk very some, briefly about one of your women standing on about, a hill as well. <laughs> about... Um, Slow television. Oh, yes. And the last igloo. Tell us oh, yeah. No, oh, so this is so just in terms of experimentation. I mean, okay, so, so as everyone will know, you know, one of the things from a while back, which I started to push, was, was, was thinking about what the form of um, television might be. And one of the kind of enduring successes for BBC Four has been our move into slow television. We don't want to overdo it, as it were. Um, but this is actually an idea which is actually post-slow, actually, I became, I started to become really, really interested in ASMR videos, uh, which I don't know if anyone knows, but a kind of phenomenon on Tinternet, which are you know, films or pieces of video which are all about the sound. Uh, and the brilliant team at Swan Films came to me with this amazing proposal, which is that they wanted to just film a man making an igloo. Um, uh, simply because it is an ASMR joy. Also because the snow in Greenland, because of global warming, is changing so quickly that actually they may no longer quite soon be the right kind of snow to continue making igloos. Anyway, they've done a beautiful job. It's, um, they've actually recorded it in surround Dolby, some special Dolby sound. So if you watch at home with 5.1, it'll be even more extraordinary. But here's a little moment of igloo making, I think. There you go, a little snow outro just to... Uh... And it is extraordinary. I mean, when it comes on, just listen at home with the sound turned up or headphones. It's just, it's amazing. It seems terrible after a beautiful piece of slow TV to tell you you're going to have to hurry up. But there is one question yeah. from the app. Uh, very briefly, if you would. Any forthcoming seasons and any... Uh, slots left in fakes season? I'm afraid not, no. It's due to uh, uh, go on air in September. Uh, in terms of upcoming seasons, nothing particularly at the moment, but particularly Patrick and I are always thinking uh, about moments that we can work together as well. We had a brilliant kind of collaboration around the moon landing anniversary, so we will endeavour to communicate those opportunities as and when we can. Uh, to paraphrase the great philosopher Matt Goss, E-N-D, <laughs> three letters that signify the end. It is the end. I'd like to say thank you very, very much to Patrick Holland and Catherine. Thank you very much. Oh, and thank you to our sponsors, Broadcast Intelligence. Thank you very much. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with another edition of the Media Business Podcast in a few weeks' time. So hit subscribe to your podcast app of choice and tell your colleagues to give us a listen. Remember, you can catch up with all episodes of the Media Business Podcast at broadcastnow.co.uk. Enjoy the rest of your day.